Hey guys, we are back with another episode of Relational Leadership, where we really try to just share some tidbits of our wisdom that can be used really with anybody. Um, It's really about any of our relationships. And again, it can be from the stay-at-home mom, and I won't come up, you know, with just our kids, all those little toddlers, to teenagers or adult children, um, to CEOs of a company, and anything in between, because we all have relationships in our lives, and Every one of them can use a little help here and there, so um, or at certain times. So we try to just give you that little bit, and um, I'm excited to share today. I'm Stephanie Clements. And I am Sean Diley, and today we are going to be talking about culture. Not the culture of society, but the culture that you have at your workplace. Those great cultures you may have experienced in the past, maybe some bad cultures that you've got some toxic memories about. But before we do that, a couple of weeks ago, Stephanie, you sprang something on me without any forewarning, and you asked me some questions to put me on the spot to let people know a little bit more about us. And I'm going to return the favor to you, and I'm going to start by asking you to bear your soul and tell us something uh, you enjoy doing that nobody Nobody would ever guess about you. Okay. Um, actually, this may go into our our topic of today. That'd be smooth. Okay. So, I have gotten caught up right now into watching and binging Selling Sunset. Oh, no. It's awful. Stephanie. It's not, awful. Not you. <laughs> No, I've only seen the previews for that. And I thought, what kind of an idiot? No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. I've seen the previews. I cannot believe that you, I cannot believe with the precious amount of discretionary time you have. I know. That you would squander it. I know. I'm staying up way too late at night. Okay. All right. So I'm so so excited to get to the end. (laughs) And then I just don't intend to go back after that. Are you hoping that at some point you find out all those people aren't horrible? (laughs) <laughs> no, so all right. So you say you're binging it, which by definition means that you watched the first five minutes and said, "I'll finish the episode." You watched yep. the first episode and said, mm. "All right." So what? What is it? Okay. Other than I got to see how the story comes to a conclusion. Like, why are you being pulled into this? Well, you know, first off, I was told by several people I should watch it. It is real estate, which is the business that I'm in, um, and it is. But it is a lot. But you just, you kind of get invested. And then, of course, people are fighting and this or that. And you kind of, so it ends <laughs> and you kind of want to see what right. the <laughs> result is sure. of that. Okay. And, um, All right. Yeah. So you get invested. You start you, you start aligning yourself like with a camp. Yes. yes. Like a Team Edward, Team yes. Jacob type yeah. of affiliation. All right. All right. Fair so, enough. Yeah. So there's, there's my, uh, what I'm doing that I kind of enjoy and yet i'm mad Um, i'm mad i'm mad at myself (laughs) i appreciate the honesty but i will never look at you the same way again all right (laughs) i know i've lost all kinds of so (laughs) moving on uh the flip side uh perhaps is what is an irrational phobia and i say irrational because don't say well i'm really afraid of water moccasin and copperhead snakes well you're supposed to be right? right so what what is an irrational fear that you think you have Hmm. Well, almost any kind of bug. Okay. But unfortunately, as a single mom, I've had to 
fight those, <laughs> but it has taken a whole lot of talking myself okay, all into. Right. Okay. So, yeah, those, and even though I know, you know, they're more scared of me than I am of them and blah. Sure. I, I would really question okay, all right. whether so you're that not is a, actually... I don't right, think so I we're have not talking any about like brown recluse or tarantulas because you should be. Those are right, legitimate right, right. things to scare you. Oh, the stink bugs. Uh, I'm not a fan. Ugh. I'm not scared of them. I'm disgusted by them. I'm disgusted by them, and I really don't want to touch. You know, I mean, I just. Oh, <laughs> well, don't touch them unless you got uh, well, some no, germs nearby yeah. to you know scrub down because yeah. they're called stink bugs for a reason. Right. All right. Okay. Okay, that's about all. all yeah. Right, I'll let you out of the hot seat. Okay, so let's go ahead then and jump right into today's topic about culture. And that word has some, I think, buzzword baggage associated sure. with it. You know, mm-hmm. it, it's kind of trendy right now. Uh, on a macro level, there's these caricatures that in the 80s, all corporate culture was nothing but cutthroat. It was only, only, only focused on profits that you would throw your workers under the bus to squeeze out an extra five cent Right. The share price, and there could be some amount of truth of that, right? But th- that wasn't the case everywhere. Now we're living in an era where there's a lot more pressure, and I think a lot of it is because of the democratization of people's voices through social media, where there's this expectation whereby, well, the place I work has to be, you know, value driven, and it has to be purpose driven. Mm-hmm. I have to feel, you know, loved and respected, and I have to be enveloped in a blanket of warmth by my boss, and that might be a bit too much to ask, you know, out of where we work. Now, we all have worked at places that, like, I can't wait to get out of here. Yeah. Right? Right. And then there's been places we've worked, like, you know what, I could probably make five bucks an hour more doing something else someplace different, but, eh, you know, what is this worth to me, you know, to yeah. stay here? So um, maybe with that kind of generalized setup, uh, when you hear the word culture as it relates to the workplace, what are some of the first thoughts that jump out at you? For me, it really is more about the morale of the people and and how you have, you know, what values you have instilled, you know, whether it is all about profit, whether it is about relationships, whether it's about, you know, I mean, there's, I feel like there's kind of a hierarchy of those type of things, you know, it could be, hey, we're about relationships, but those relationships need to still, we're here to make money. Right. You know, but the relationship is very important, but it can't, you know, again, if you're out and you're in sales and they're, you know, the culture is to, you know, you've got to have the highest margins and um, whatever, you know, then you, that can change the yeah, the culture there. So, so to me, it really is about the morale and and the values that have been set by the company. I, I love the way you set that up uh, because you mentioned morales and then quickly, uh, or yeah, the morale rather morale, and then you quickly pinned that on values. And so, turning that around, um, the values that are instilled from the top down will tend to create the morale you know, of the organization. And, you know, we've all heard that, um, you know, or maybe something along the lines of that, you know, values aren't really taught. They're caught, you know, the way that we conduct ourselves as leaders has a, you know, that's going to have more uh, longer term uh, currency 
if we're doing things that we wish to be emulated versus, you know, the old do as I say, not as I do, right? right? right. And we, we can all think about times where you look at the, the nice, pretty mission and vision statement that they spent a lot of money to have printed and hung all over the place. But then you think, all right, that, that's not the way I feel. Sure. When I walk around the factory floor, when I sit in the boardroom, when I'm in the break room. Uh, so what do you think the role of a leader is in trying to shape the culture that is positive? So this is where I think it is so strongly the in, the leader is in charge of this because you can, by example, and by making people feel respected and comfortable and things like that, you know, treating, whether it's giving uh, managers like a, a directive and they're supported and they can go do it and it passes on down through that whether you how you're hiring how you're promoting how you know there, there's a big thing you know and i mean you've been in um government work and whatever where they say if you want to get rid of somebody you promote them out <laughs> you know i yeah. mean what kind of voice is yeah, that yeah pass saying, them along you know somebody else's but, problem right but um you know at least they're out of your department and yeah. they've been promoted out because you couldn't get rid of them yeah, any yeah. other way. But that says a lot to, you know, if you're putting up with employees who are not doing what's right, not following the rules, showing up late, doing things, that changes the morale of the others around you. Yeah. If you have somebody who is nonstop drama, yeah. Um, yeah. this is where, again, You've got the, you know, selling sunset, and I sit there and I look, and, and because I knew for the last week this was going to be our um, topic, as I'm watching, I'm sitting here going, all right, Jason and Brett have control of this. They can stop this drama. They aren't going to get paid for the show anymore. Sure. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but they have control over that. In the sense that, you know, they can go, this drama isn't going to happen in the workplace. It's not going to be there, you know. And if somebody insists insists on keeping that so that the workplace, you're not going to be as productive, then you're removing them. Yeah. You know. Well, you mentioned earlier about uh, hiring and promoting, and then even by extension perhaps sometimes firing. I've heard it said before, and I believe it, that personnel – is policy. Mm -hmm. The type of people that we hire, the type of people we promote, the type of people that we reward, and maybe even the systems that incentivize people to be rewarded, uh, that is policy. Because if you talk about, okay, we want to foster an environment of inclusivity and collaboration whereby we all thrive together, but you've got this uh, hard-charging, highly productive man or woman who is an island unto themselves, who makes enemies all throughout the building, but but lands the big clients. Right. And you keep promoting that person. Like, well, at the end of the day, they are a profit center. They are bringing home the bacon. Um, I get it. Like, I get how the tactical inclination is, man, they're our top performer. But then you need to do one of two things. Um, you need to either uh, try to coach them up to be more collaborative. Like, right. hey, why don't you share what you're doing? Because it seems to work. Or you need to change 
what your vision of your office is because right. it is not one of collaboration. Sure. Right? It, it, it just isn't. And when there's that disconnect, it creates confusion. And when people in the workplace are confused because they see a difference between word and deed, now they're on unsettled ground. They don't know how to do their job in a way right. that's going to be pleasing, you know, to the person who's signing their check. Well, I, you know, again, and so now Selling Sunset is like really the topic. You <laughs> Am know, I going to have to like I've watch this as show prep? Them. Like I feel like I need yeah, to maybe, now. You know, All right. <laughs> but, but to me it's how an office is, shouldn't be run. Yeah. You know, but, um, but I look at the fact that, again, I also work in the real estate world and we are an office full of women. You know, we have two men okay. and um, 14 women that work in our wow. office. Okay. And I know that in general, people assume, oh, if there's women in you know, a whole bunch of women, there's going to be drama. But, you know, I know that the culture that has been set within our office is so protected. We don't have drama. And we are very yeah. supportive and um, celebrate the wins of all of us. And because of that, you know, I mean, we're brought in, you know, a couple of us are brought in sometimes on these interviews just to make sure yeah. that when we're thinking about hiring somebody, are they going to come in and be able to be that team player? And for us, it's gotten to a point that, there may be some strong salespeople or this or that that we could get, but if it would hurt the culture, yeah, maybe the extra that they would bring would cause, you know, less production yeah. by the others. Whereas if we got somebody who maybe did a little bit less, it might increase production uh, of others. Uh, so well said. And uh, during the nineteen eighty. Miracle on Ice hockey run. I, I, I couldn't tell you anything about hockey. I don't know what icing either. is. I don't know what offsides looks like. But that was a pretty seminal moment in Americana when the amateur American team beat, hands down, the best team on the planet, you know, the right. Soviet Union hockey team. And when they were getting these amateurs together and they were going through their, their you know, trial and cuts to get down to that final roster – Herb Brooks, who was the coach, who was asked to come in and put together this team, he cut some of, you know, inarguably the best players in the country. And when he was asked, uh, why are you doing this? Don't you want the best players? He said, I don't need the best players. I need the right players. Yeah. And, you know, that was a man who made some decisions that had it not worked out, people would forever say, well, you idiot, you didn't have four of right. the All-Americans on your squad, what did you think was going to happen? But he was somebody that understood, look, nine out of ten times the Soviets are going to clean our clock. Right. The only chance we've got is to put a cohesive unit on the ice who doesn't care about how much puck time they're getting, who doesn't care how many goals they score. They just want to win. And right. he figured out how to see that in the players that he was coming after. And when we're out there hiring it's easy to fall in love with the golden resume, right? Sure, like you get absolutely. that resume, like, oh my gosh, this person, it's like they were built in a factory for this job. Right. And you go into the interview or sort of like predisposed, like I, I want to believe they're the best hire. But then in the course of that, if you sit back, you might begin to pick up some things like, you know, I, I don't 
know that this person is really the best fit for the team. Right, right. And as leaders, that's, that can be a challenge sometimes. It but is. It's something we got to do right. But it is so important. And so this, it really is the leadership's role to to set that culture because, you know, somebody underneath can work on it, but if it doesn't, if, if the leadership is not following through on it, you don't, you don't get any traction. And so, um, you know, I can have all the best plans. And if my bosses are like, nope, we're not going along that line or I'm not being supported or everything that I'm putting in line, they're allowing somebody else to do totally opposite. Yeah. Then eventually right. I'm like, why do I want to keep doing this? Yeah. 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 And, and you know, whether, like I just used hockey, you know, as an analogy, um, I think we can look and I challenge you to find championship teams that had a really dysfunctional culture. Right. right. Now right. they may have had talent. There's no doubt. It, it, it's not like, well, because we all get along, we're going to be cutting down nets at the end of the final four. But it is, I think it's rare. I, I can't even right now think of a team that was a champion that well, had a poor culture. Was. Okay, please. That, no, not, not that it had poor culture, but one that the we all know because, okay. you know, I'm not a big sports, I, I, college sports is about it, but not, not necessarily pro. But the Chicago Bulls. Yeah. And that team, even though, you know, arguably Michael Jordan mm-hmm. is the best player or, you know, now there's others sure. that they're trying to, you know, but either way, in that time frame, he was like the best player. Mm-hmm. But he had a cohesive team. Yeah, he did. With him, the coach. I mean, you know, at one point they wanted to get rid of Phil Jackson yep. and the whole mm-hmm. team was like, well, then we're, we're done. Yeah, yeah, well, we aren't going, we're, we're not, not play playing. Somebody else. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, the, the culture that that was Phil Jackson that had been able to create that culture. That's right. And it worked and it, and it certainly led them to many championships. Yeah. And that's a great, oh my gosh, what a great point because the 1990s bulls that won six titles, People say, well, they had Michael Jordan. Well, the 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 85 Bulls had Michael Jordan. Michael right. Jordan was there for seven years, I think, before they won their first championship. Right. And it, it wasn't like he was a late bloomer. The dude was <laughs> like in the mid to late 80s was MVP. He's winning slam dunk competitions. Right. You know, he is hands down, you know, the baddest cat on the court. But it wasn't until they got okay, a, a different coach with a more cohesive, collaborative, team first type of mentality. And they got people to start buying in. Right. That finally they cracked the code on that. And uh, your earlier comment about, you know, we can basically, you know, learn things from the wrong culture. Uh, <laughs> um, I, I encourage anybody that's working someplace where they, they just can't stand it. Right. I'm definitely look for the next chapter of your life. Don't stay someplace you're miserable, but do not overlook the blessing that you're learning through these bad Sure. Lessons right now, sure. like I, I will often think back to when I was a 16-year-old kid. You know, I worked at McDonald's because they were great about working around my basketball and track schedule. You know, three hours here, three hours there. But the the manager, you know, like the, you know, the assistant fry manager or whatever I worked <laughs> for, um, it, it was a culture of favoritism. Right. And me and my buddy were not favorites. <laughs> right, so, right. So, um, you know, was that a bad experience? Yeah. Uh, did I pushed through it because I needed the 335 an hour. Yeah. Uh, did I learn things that I could then 
incorporate into future leadership assignments? Oh, hell yeah, I did. I learned how toxic that can be when people, right. and they'll pick up, oh, they yeah. will be looking for it. Okay, whatever you do, you have got to put some guardrails around anything that even smells like it could be, you know, favoritism, right? right. So we can always learn. Whatever culture we're in, we're going to learn something from it. Well, I've always had um, a very entrepreneurial spirit, and I've owned businesses or been part owner in in various ventures over the course of my years. And, um, but when I worked for somebody, I always felt like there was an advantage in a sense to them because I already understood what they, they go through as an owner. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. I owe it to them. I'm now their employee, you know, yeah. I mean, to do it just like I would if I were the owner, you know, because I knew I needed my employees to give their everything. Sure. You know, when everybody's really giving their all, you can be profitable. You can, you know, when you have people who you're like, okay, no more smoke breaks. You've taken three this hour. I can't get it. You know, there's nothing cohesive yeah. going your, on. Your non-smokers pick up the habit right. just to get more breaks. You right. Know. You know, but the things that I learned from people who were not doing things um, in necessarily the right way and you were seeing some of the toxicity in in some of these things, you know, as much as I'm trying, but you're not, you're seeing that the leadership that you're working for isn't, I would learn and go, okay, mental note, my next venture, I want to make sure that that's not something I ever do or allow into there. And so, you know, I work, you try to work through that until you're, you're moving on. But as you're seeing it, that's always a mental note that I do. Yeah. um, Learning. So in your capacity as a leader at these various companies that you started or where you've worked, um, to the extent you would want to share, can you think of anything you ever did that maybe had a negative impact on the culture that you finally kind of caught caught yourself like, eh, I I might be a little bit part of the problem here. I need to fix this. I did. Um, I can remember um, working for a dentist office. And the culture there was not very good in the first place. And there had become drama and different things. Um, And it seemed like somebody was upset with somebody else all the time. Yeah. And you can allow yourself to get drawn in to those things and pick sides and whatever instead of staying neutral. And several of the problems were with, the actual dentists that we worked for, you Uh know, and it just, you know, was just this constant thing. And rather than necessarily going to them, you know, where now I'm jumping on the bandwagon of, oh, they're just awful. And we're all talking and we're all doing rather than going and talking to them. um, You know, my relationship there really didn't end well. Although later I did sit down many years later and actually apologize because I'm like, well, well, even though this wasn't good and it needed to be fixed, I didn't contribute to the solution. Yeah. yeah. And so, no, that's good. you know, it took me a while to, to understand yeah, that, but well, it was, you know. Okay, well, I'll, I'll, now I'm, I'm obligated to you know, out myself. <laughs> that's right. you know, but, but I will also say, to pick up on the drama theme, uh, as a squadron commander of a tactical flying squadron, you know, this populated with aviators we also had support personnel right and there was this um 
woman technically proficient in her craft. I mean, she knew what she was doing, but I mean, oh, it was like oxygen to her. And yeah. I, 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 the first interaction I had is she came in and she said something on lines of, now, believe me, nobody hates drama more than me, but it's always it, those. That- oh my gosh. Yeah. 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 Well, you learn quickly that whenever somebody begins their, their, monologue with so nobody hates drama more than right. me. like okay I, I i bet that's not true um <laughs> but uh, but one thing that i realized that i that i had a problem with uh, as a leader was and I've, I've shared with you and i think even on the show before that i do not believe in good emotions and bad emotions you know we often think well happy is good but you know angry is bad well you know if, if the anger is what helps that mother protect her child from the intruder in the living room at two in the morning, I'd say that's righteous anger. Good for you that you Mm -hmm. channeled it and used it appropriately. So what I I think we all realize is that it's how we manifest the emotion is how we're judged. I can be angry inside, but if I'm not visibly manifesting in such a way, I can't be held accountable for how I felt. Now, if I act on it, it's a little bit different. So a problem that I had would be if somebody made a mistake and I brought them in for counseling, that was going to be geared towards remediation. Like, hey, look, we're all human. What can we learn from this so that you don't do it again or that we can maybe derive some lessons and we don't do it again? Because tomorrow it could be me that makes the innocent mistake and we should learn from that. But when somebody was, let's say, willfully disobedient, yeah, like what you did was deliberate, there's no way that you didn't understand that was wrong. When I bring that person in to talk about that, I never obligated myself to make sure that they were completely at ease and comfortable. No, I wanted it to be such an unpleasant experience that aside from what I was saying, the manner by which I was saying it and the way it made them feel was such that they think upon conclusion, well, I never want to do that that again. again. Yeah. Yeah, right, right, right. Okay. So far, so good, right? Right. Here's the problem. I walk out of the office, and I have not turned that switch off. And for the next hour, I'm walking right. around, and even though I'm, I've got a you know a, a stoic expression, I'm not I'm not yelling, I'm not cussing, I'm not beating my chest, you know, like a baboon, right? But it's obvious, you know, the boss is not happy. Sure. That is so unfair to those other people in that building. Yeah. That yeah. is so unfair to them. And and then to take it one step further, um, you don't know who grew up in a household with an angry mom or an angry dad. Sure. And you don't know what you are, I dare use the word, triggering, Trigger. right? Yeah. Uh, because nobody, nobody, nobody in any organization has their hand on the rheostat that sets the temperature and tone of the room like the leader. Absolutely. And I will freely admit that it took me a while to really figure that out. And once I did, okay, step one, awareness, you know, mm-hmm. okay, like the, you know, okay, I, I have a problem. <laughs> right. Now, what can I do to, to, to kind of fix that? Well, that goes back, you know, and I think I've mentioned this before, but the dentists that we worked for that were, so, you know, we never knew when they walked in, in the morning, you were waiting to see what oh, was the mood of the day. Yeah. And bad. he could walk in in a bad mood and the whole day and the whole office was just like, can't can't wait to get out of here. And so as leaders, 
you know, we do have to learn to whatever has happened, whether it's at home or whether, you know, either we come and explain and say, listen, things are bad today. Just don't hit me with anything major. I'm not in the best mood. Yeah. You know, because sometimes it is hard to just compartmentalize and show, you know, shut that out. Yeah. But at least let some people know that, hey, today's really not a good day. I'm dealing with stuff, whether it's personal or in business, but just be prepared. Y'all just absolutely give me a buffer. But also, you know, we there's a saying out there like the worst, um, and I can't remember the exact saying, but it's basically, you know, keeping a bad employee is the worst thing you can do for the culture in your, you know, that will lose production from your good employees by allowing somebody who is constantly causing oh, yeah. problems, oh, yeah. not doing sales, and us giving that up, you know. So it's so important to recognize and and foster the good, you know. I would rather, I mean, you know, one of my kids very much wanted recognition. And so when I would say something I'm so proud of you for doing this to one of the other kids. Yeah. She wanted to jump in sure. and she was like, yeah. oh, I'm going to do that too. Yeah, 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 yeah. Where's my gold star? Yeah. <laughs> so when we really recognize our good talent and promote that kind of behavior or that kind of thing, you know, whether it's their attitude, whether it's being a team player, those kind of things, it increases those behaviors in others yeah um yeah yeah yeah. no i mean you you get more of what you reward right and typically you get less of what you punish and um maybe the last quick little story i'll share uh uh, it was one of the deployments one of the first deployments to iraq to kick off the war so we were living in saudi arabia uh getting ready to and then eventually flying you know the opening combat missions in and out of iraq and we were living in pretty spartan conditions you know around the desert yeah. In canvas tents, sleeping on cots, uh, we had plenty of water to drink. Uh, there was porta potties, you know, for <laughs> for the business. Um, there was even eventually like a, a a shower tent, but because of water rationing in the beginning, like okay, take a shower every three or four days, whatever, right. you know, knock the dust off. Uh, and we're eating meals ready to eat, so sure. a, a plastic bag of food, probably from the eighties. <laughs> yeah, but but we had all of our basic survival needs. Right? Sure. And oh, by the way, we're all in it together. It wasn't like there was one group of people living like that. And then right next door was the Ritz Carlton. Right. Right. So we're all in it together. And so there was a guy, I started calling him the weatherman because he would come in to the tent. Oh, it's so hot out there. I'm so dusty. I'm so tired. I hate this food. Like, you know, it was the same weather report yeah. every day. Right. And eventually I just asked him a rhetorical question. I said, look, dude, <laughs> um, I don't know why you feel so compelled to remind us who are living here of our living conditions. We understand it. Right. Right. If you don't die here in 5, 10, 20 years, which, oh, by the way, it's now been 20 years, <laughs> people are going to remember how you acted right. during this period. Right. And, and once we are done and we go home, you can't go back and undo the reputational damage by becoming the biggest complainer in a camp of 5,000 people living right. in the exact same conditions. 
So one thing that we found in that culture was um, <laughs> through fear, sarcasm, and ridicule, uh, we are going to punish the types of behaviors that are not conducive because maybe somebody is like engrossed in a book, they're sitting on their cot, they're in the tent, but, but just for maybe one minute, they are mentally somewhere else. They're they're at peace. Right. They're content. And then you walk in and you start whining and well, complaining. Well, that's what the that's the saying. You know, the one bad apple ruins Spoil, the, yeah, spoils it, the whole bunch. Yeah. You know, and that is another area that you do have to be protective of because if you have somebody walking through the office and complains and tries to start, whether it's drama or just complain, you know. Have you seen how so and so does this? Oh, it just gets on. It's ridiculous. It's just, and yeah. then they walk over and they just complain about everybody and everything, and they're upset with management. You know, they should be doing this, and they don't do this for me. You know, they don't do this. That begins to spread. Yeah, and you have yeah. to be protective of those kind of things. So if you have somebody who is not happy in your camp, you need to sit down, figure out. Can they become happy, but that you're not going to be able to allow yeah. it to continue because it does change the mood and the morale, the culture. So Absolutely. I know that Absolutely. we are pretty much out of time, but I just think, you know, culture is such an important thing and the leadership has to, you know, you've got to promote and promote the things that you want and you've got to really try to get the things that you don't want in that office. Yeah. And, and, and either remove it completely or, you know, keep it so that it, it's so minimal. Yeah. And I would just encourage any leader who's listening just to be aware that culture is not something you overlay on top of the operation. The culture permeates yes. everything about your business. And if you don't do it, on purpose, it'll just simply happen on its own. And when it happens on its own, it may not be the version that you like. So right. as a leader, just kind of think, okay, wh what what is it? Like, what are the strengths and weaknesses of our culture, whatever that may be for your organization? And then what can I do to incentivize the aspects of the culture that will make people not only happier, but more productive? And what are some things, complaining, gossiping, whatever that may be, that you need to start addressing? If you don't like the word punish, address right so as to minimize we'll never get rid of all that stuff we're human all of us are going to come to work with our flaws but as a leader be deliberate about establishing the culture that you want and not simply reacting to the culture that you get absolutely so we appreciate you joining us we know that your time is valuable um we would appreciate if you find value in what we have shared uh, we would love for you to share. This is still going to be available on LinkedIn, uh, Facebook, and uh, YouTube. Mm -hmm. But it also goes out to Spotify, Audible, and um, Apple. Apple. <laughs> I'm an Apple user, that, right? That, that itty-bitty company that little in Silicon company, Valley. Right. <laughs> so um, we would love for you to share or even go follow, subscribe to us because that definitely helps us. And um, until next week, we appreciate you again, and we look forward to having you join us again Tuesday. Take care, everybody. Bye.